Our scripture passage today is from Matthew chapter 20. Hear God's infallible and authoritative word. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. And so they went. And going out again, about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day long? And they said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired the first came, they thought that they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We need your help. We need your spirit to make it alive in our hearts. We need to be convicted, to be challenged, to be instructed and comforted. We pray that your spirit would be at work as your word goes forth. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. As most of you know, we are a new church, and we only meet once a month, but we wanted to have some continuity to our sermon series, and so we've been going through the parables of Jesus. Each of them has different layers that it tells us about the kingdom of God, about who God is, about who we are, how we fit into it. Uh, But Jesus tells these parables not as just generic stories, but usually in the context that's very specific that he's making a point to address. And in order for us to understand the context of this parable, we want to look at the time in which he said it. If you look back in Matthew 19, you don't have to turn there, but if you have a Bible, you certainly are welcome to. There's a story you might be familiar with. It's the story of the rich man, the young rich ruler, who comes to Jesus and he says, how do I inherit eternal life? He has everything he would have ever wanted in his life, but he knows he's lacking something. And so he comes to Jesus how can I inherit eternal life? And they exchange back and forth, and as it plays out, Jesus eventually says, well, sell everything you have and come follow after me. And they, this rich man goes away sad, and Jesus responds saying, how difficult it is. It's actually impossible for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. But with God, all things are possible. And Jesus' disciples see this take place, and they are baffled. This man who is so powerful, so prominent, so blessed isn't going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven? I mean, talk about being seeker-friendly. This man comes to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? How often does somebody come into a place and ask such a question? 
And yet Jesus turns him away. Peter responds to this scene, questioning whether he is going to inherit the kingdom of heaven. This is what he says to him. Peter says, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus says to him, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Peter sees this scene play out, and his question to Jesus is, am I going to get rewarded? I left everything. I know he didn't, but am I going to be rewarded? Am I going to get paid? Will I get a good return on my investment, Jesus? Of course, Jesus does give him assurance Absolutely. When I sit on my throne, you'll be on 12 thrones judging the tribes of Israel. An unthinkable place to see yourself. And not only that, if you've left anything in this life, you will be repaid 100-fold. And if that's not enough, you will also receive eternal life. But Jesus uses this moment to tell this parable, to further instruct his disciples on how the kingdom of heaven is not like the kingdoms of our world. And so that sets the stage for us in chapter 20, for the laborers in the vineyard. Now, all parables have different characters that are highlighting different people. But notice in our passage today, at the end of chapter 19, it ended this way. Many who are first will be last in the last first. And at the end of our parable, it says... So the last will be first and the first last. Jesus is bookmarked this parable to highlight for us the first and the last. And so we have two main characters that represent people within the kingdom, those who were hired first and those who were hired last. And of course we have the master of the house and he is the representation of God in the kingdom. But let's just take a few moments to walk slowly through this parable make some observations along the way. So, as he often does, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Now, we don't live in this kind of culture, but uh, this would have been a typical scene. A master of the house, the man who owned the land and the farm, uh, you know, it's harvest time. He needs some people to go out into his field and bring in the harvest. And so he would have gone to the marketplace to find day laborers. Now, I'm pretty new to Fargo, but one of the first things I did here is I visited a church up north, north of uh, Grand Forks, a little bit more even. And there was all of these random people in town. And there was somebody's brother-in-law's, you know, friend from college. And it was just like, why are all these people here? And it was beet season. And so they were all just driving truck. You know, I don't know, 24 hours a day. I don't know how long you drive the trucks for. It seems like nonstop. These guys are working 12, 14, 16 hours. Not quite a day laborer, but certainly gets to the point of they need this extra help. It's harvest time. We need anybody and everybody to come in and help with the work. And so this, day la this master of the house goes out to find laborers. 
he goes, and, uh, he, and this would have been a typical scene in his day. Now, a day laborer would be not like your good friend's brother who comes over to work for you, but would have been these men who had no guarantee of any work. Each day they would have stood in the marketplace hoping, praying that somebody might hire them. There's no guarantee that they would be hired. And if they were hired for the day, there was no guarantee the next day they would be hired. They were vulnerable. Uh, we didn't have the uh, societal net of safety for these men. There wasn't, you know, food stamps and all of the social programs. So without work, these men may go home hungry without food for their families. The desperate, needy people of the society were the day laborers. And so, as would have been common, he goes out and hires them for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into the vineyard. Now, a denarius is a typical day's wage. Nothing weird has happened yet. Um, you know, we might think of that as $150, $200 for the day. They're going to work from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., sun up to sundown. So nothing strange has happened yet. And then going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he says to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give to you. Now it's not too strange. Maybe he just saw these men and thought, I, could, I guess I could use a few more guys. You would think he would know how many people to hire in the morning. And he doesn't promise them anything exorbitant. Whatever's right. It's not a full day anymore, but whatever's right, I will take care of you. Go out and work. So they went. And then here's where the story begins to get strange. Going out again about the sixth hour, that's noon, and the ninth hour, three o'clock, he did the same. And you begin to wonder about this master of the house. He doesn't seem like a very efficient Master, I mean, who doesn't know how many people to hire in the morning? And what kind of master spends his whole day going back and forth to the marketplace hiring more and more people? He seems to be inefficient. I kind of wonder if other masters of the houses are seeing this scene and perhaps having a puzzled look on their face. And in case you thought this man had any credibility left as a business owner, he goes out again at the 11th hour, 5 p.m., one hour before the end of the day, and he finds others standing, and he says to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He says to them, you go into the vineyard too, and it ends our first scene. Now, remember, the first and the last, the last and the first are their are categories that Jesus has really set up for us in this parable. And even these last laborers, they get an opportunity to speak. And so we want to stop for a moment and reflect upon what might be happening here. Who might these last workers be? Now, you can imagine uh, early in the morning, you get the kind of pick of the crop, you know, the really strong-looking guy, the guy you know who's worked in your field before, uh, the one who your neighbor recommended, and as the day went on, there would have been less and less workers. Um, you know, these are the last workers. These are like the kids who didn't get picked to be on the kickball team and are sitting on the sideline at recess. Maybe they didn't have the build 
or the tools on their belt. Maybe they had a reputation for not being that great. Yeah, Frank told me not to hire those guys. For whatever reason, they have been sitting there all day. And they have this sad confession that nobody had hired them. Sitting there hour by hour, even seeing this master come every three hours to hire people and being left behind. I can only imagine the mindset of these last workers who their hope of work, their hope of pay, their hope of providing for themselves and their family gets lessened and lessened and lessened as the day goes on. I bet when this master of the house came up to talk to them, the most they were hoping for is that he might buy them a drink. The day was over. It was five o'clock. And yet he hires them and sends them into his vineyard. And so we go into this next scene. Now all of a sudden we're in the vineyard. The end of the day has come. The owner of the vineyard says to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last and up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now you can only imagine the scene this must have elicited. These men who had given up hope of being hired for the day had been passed over time and time again, spent 11 hours just sitting there, have gone, and think about the amount of work they must have done. I mean, I'm going to leave this marketplace, wherever it is, and go to this field and then get in there and start working. Like, they probably only put in a half an hour of real work. And now they've been given $200, the whole day's wage. I would imagine there would have been some exuberant celebration. $200 an hour. They certainly weren't worthy to receive this kind of wage for what they had put in, and yet the master of the house gives them the full dignity of a day's wage. And you know there was a scene because we're told in verse 10 that when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. And saying, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. If we're honest with ourselves, we can really relate to these first hour workers. It doesn't seem fair that somebody who's only worked a half an hour gets paid the same amount as me. I don't know what your workplaces are like, but I know the number one rule in all of American workforce is that you don't talk about how much you make. And why do you not talk about how much you make? Because of this. Did you hear how much Joe makes? I can't believe how much he makes. He doesn't deserve that. That's more than I make. We constantly compare ourselves, evaluate ourselves to others, just like these men did. Now, they had been promised, the master of the house reminds them, am I doing you no wrong? I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? They would have been, once again, remember, these guys started out as day laborers, no promise of work, happy to be hired. $200 for the day? Sounds great. I'll go to the field. And now they feel like their pay has been lessened, even though it hasn't changed 
one cent. I can relate to that feeling. The master of the house says, take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Okay, so what does this tell us about the kingdom of heaven? What does this tell us about our role in it? Why did Jesus tell this story to Peter? Well, we've got to think about the three characters, and as they play out, how they might relate to us. So we have the, uh, the first workers in the story. This is Peter, by the way. Those of us, Peter's one of the first people to enter the kingdom of heaven, is he not? He is one of the 12 apostles. He lives his life alongside Jesus. He's left everything to follow after him. He's borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat, so to say. We might be first workers if we've been in the church our whole lives. We've been baptized here. There hasn't been a day that we haven't known the Lord. We've served on women's uh, leadership committees and set up crew, and we troubleshooted the camera before service today. We, we do everything. We've been here since the beginning. We have carried this church on our shoulders. And this is instructive to us as it is instructive to Peter in that we do not get rewarded by what we have put in. This list that Jesus gives to Peter of the reward he's going to have by being part of the kingdom of heaven cannot be value-based on what Peter gave up. The rewards of the kingdom are so much greater. And yet we're so prone, like Peter, to say, well, am I going to get out of this what I'm putting into it? Is Jesus really going to make this worthwhile? And we're prone when new people come in to feel like there's not room for them. Well, you know, why don't you be here a while and then maybe you can serve on our committee. Or that's my chair. You can't sit in that part of the sanctuary. Those who come into the kingdom first are quickly prone to move into a place of selfishness, of counting the costs of their reward for what they've done. They become envious of seeing other people taking their place rather than rejoicing with them. Think about this scene as these men are being paid. Now, we can relate to the idea of feeling crummy about getting paid less, but can't you also imagine a sense in which you see these guys get paid $200 for an hour of work and you can just rejoice with them? Well, praise God, guys. It's happy hour. You're buying Let's go. That's the heart these men should have had as these men received such a generous token from the master of the house. And so it ought to be among us who are first in the kingdom of heaven. Those who have put in and toiled day after day. We ought to be rejoicing as others come alongside us. Not even having an opportunity to work. Knowing that they are going to receive everything we have. It hasn't lessened anything that we have been given. It's just multiplied to more people. We also have the last workers. 
those who are hired in the 11th hour. This might be you if you entered the church feeling like an outsider. Overlooked. You don't, you don't struggle with feeling like uh, other people are, owe you something. You don't have any worth. You know you don't have the gifts. You know you don't have the right build. You know you might not have the best reputation or the best history. You just found yourself in the vineyard with a half an hour left in the day. And all of a sudden you've received such a tremendous gift. This parable not only corrects people like Peter and us first workers, it comforts people who are the last workers. It restores our dignity. The master of the house comes and he doesn't just give you a, a handout. Hey, you know what? Give that guy ten bucks. He came out. It's fine. He gives you the full value of your humanity. Restores you as a full member. You didn't do any work. You don't deserve to be here. None of us deserve to be here. That's the truth of this parable. We're all day laborers starting out as needy, vulnerable people without Christ having no hope. It doesn't matter how many committees we serve on, how long our church has been on a membership role. Without Christ, we have nothing. And yet with him, we all receive everything. And our final character in our parable is the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard. And he tells us a lot about what the kingdom of heaven is like. All right, we have this man who goes out hour after hour after hour hiring more and more people. And as you read this story, as I've read it over and over again, I begin to realize that he seems less interested in being an efficient landowner, an efficient businessman. I don't know how much he even cares about the harvest. It seems he's much more interested in caring for the men. Putting his reputation on the line, being foolish to go out and hire people at 9 and noon and 3 and even 5 o'clock. And then at the end of the day, just throwing out money, like, there's no end. He doesn't care about his reputation or his wealth. He cares about those whom he's hired, the people who've been brought in. God isn't satisfied with just having 9 a.m. workers or 3 p.m. workers. He always goes out for more and more. His kingdom is going to continue to expand until the day Jesus comes back. There's always room for more, even in the last hour. The master of the house reminds us that the kingdom of heaven is one of grace. One of generosity. That we belong to somebody who brings back our dignity, who makes us equals with one another, who tears down all of the divisions we have in our own lives. And he takes those who are last 
He places them at the front of the line. Now, these parables only go so far to tell us what the kingdom of heaven is truly like, right? The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who goes out early to hire laborers for his vineyard. But it's so much greater than that. It's not like we just have a great boss who gives out awesome Christmas bonuses, however much we love that. We aren't just hired servants for one day. So the kingdom of heaven is like this, but it is so much greater. We are brought in not as servants and slaves, not as hired hands, but we are made sons. And we don't just receive $200 extra bonus. As Jesus said, we'll receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. We'll be seated on thrones. We will be with Christ in his place of honor, an unthinkable place of authority and blessing that no man dare think he can come to, and yet that is where he places us. And so whether you see yourself as a 6 a.m. worker or a 9 a.m. worker, you have some gifts, you're a noon worker, whether you know that you have nothing to offer, you just come like that tax collector, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Know that he sees you. He doesn't overlook you. He brings you into his kingdom and he makes us equal. He bestows on us tremendous gifts. And the cost that he has paid for us is not just a bunch of money. You see, the cost of bringing us in and making us equal is far greater than any monetary value. Because it was the death of his only son. The excruciating pain and blood that is shed from him so that we might be forgiven and brought in. No longer left as destitute, out there kind of people, but being washed and cleansed and brought in and being able to stand before an almighty God. God has given everything. And that's why he's able to call the rich man, call Peter, call us to lose everything. God has given everything so that he can show his love to us. And when we fully grasp that idea, even this much of it, it causes us to count everything as loss and to follow after him.